This podcast is offered by San Francisco Zen Center on the web at sfzc.org. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Good evening. How's that sound? Sounds a little booming to me. Does it sound that way to you? Yeah? Maybe try it a little bit lower. How about now? Maybe a little less? Sounds good? Okay. See what authority you have, Michael? (laughs) (laughs) Um, As many of you know, we are in the first couple of weeks of what we call a practice period, which is in a period dedicated to um, the process of awakening. And as a text for this process, for this period of time, um, I chose a famous teaching by the founder of Soto Zen in Japan, Dogen Zenji, and maybe his most famous uh, fascicle, his essay, most famous essay, the Genjo Koan. And, uh, and then I matched it up, if you could call it a match, <laughs> um, Maybe I paired it up with its opposite, uh, the six paramitas. The way I've been thinking about it in the last couple of days is um, in practice, we have the the principle and then we have the particular setting of the occasion or the moment that we're endeavoring to call forth what the principles propose. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to read the first paragraph and then I would just thought we should probably do a little guided meditation. And then I would like to offer three, if, if we have the time, three vignettes that I think of as illustrative of applying the principle to life. Um, and just so you can get into a frenzy of anticipation, one of those uh, vignettes is how I related to Zazen this morning in the Zendo. But here's the the first paragraph of the Genjo Koan. And I'm going to read a translation from Nishijima and Cross rather than our usual one, which is Vaitas K. 
Kaz Tanahashi. When all dharmas are Buddha Dharma, then there is delusion and realization. There is practice, there is life, there is death, there are Buddhas and there are ordinary beings. When the myriad dharmas are each not of the self, there is no delusion, no realization, no Buddhas, no ordinary beings, no life and no death. The Buddha's truth is originally transcendent over abundance and scarcity. And so there is life and death. There is delusion and realization. There are beings and Buddhas. And though it is like this, it's only that flowers while loved fall and weeds while hated flourish. Okay. So maybe I'll offer you the first anecdote and then we can sit for a little bit. Um, in the class that I was teaching on, I am teaching on Monday nights, I offered a guided meditation in relationship to a number of things. The first one is noticing in how to be instructed by the very process of noticing. You know, when we notice, implicit in noticing is that we're just noticing what's happening. We're not endeavoring to change it into anything else. And in many ways, th this carries the flavor of the Buddhist approach to awakening. Um, and then taking the noticing and keeping that flavor of just noticing in contrast to improving or ceasing or whatever else we might, whatever other way we might relate to what's coming up for us in the moment. Taking that noticing and bringing it into how we're experiencing the physicality of being and the breath that flows through the physicality of being. And that's what I uh, used as the basis of the class on Monday night. And then interestingly today, I got some feedback. Uh, someone was saying to me, I'm not getting it. <laughs> you know, what was that? <laughs> um, that's actually what prompted me to think, well, what if I gave three illustrations? Would that help? Um, so here's the first illustration. 
arrived in the Zendo this morning, um, took my seat. I have a little ritual that I do when I am in the process of settling in to the posture of Zazen. I um, get my seat, get the cushion, or actually I sit on a little uh, folded uh, support cushion, as we call it, or a flat. A so seat on that, and then stretch out my spine from the ground up and then endeavor to discover uprightness. Now what is that place of balance where the weight of the body is coming down through the sit bones? Where the body is in an upright posture so the muscles are not working to hold it in place. To have a long, open torso so that the breath can flow in and so the ab, the chest, the rib cage can expand with the inhale, the diaphragm can move down and the abdomen can swell. And then the reverse with the exhale. And as I was going through that ritual, um, I noticed that there was a strong inclination to think about a certain issue. Um, I'm part of a nonprofit. I'm the board on the board of a nonprofit, and there's a certain issue coming up. Um, surprise, surprise! <laughs> um, it actually, I don't experience it as uh, a great problem. Um, I try to uh, persuade myself that it's a great opportunity. It, sometimes that works. Uh, but often it, it softens up the kind of tenseness or singularity of this is a problem. You know? Problems are there to be fixed you know, because something is wrong or broken. That's why we call it a problem. But what if we just call it something there to be related to. And I noticed that I was inclined to think about it because it was being experienced as intriguing. Like a little bit like a real life crossword puzzle. Okay. Uh, and and what's what is the issue here, and how is it uh, presenting itself? And uh, 
and then some attachment arising that, oh, this is what would really help, you know. And and that thought, um, okay, let's hold on to that. That's a good thought. That's that's a wise thought. That's an appropriate, skillful thought. Uh, and while all that was going on, there was some other part of me saying, um, didn't you just come here to notice what was happening and allow it to come in with the inhale and cease with the exhale. And then these two notions, the intrigue of the issue of the non-profit and the request of just be the breath. And then What came to mind, in, and in many ways came to heart, was just breathe it all in. You know, don't set up a duality. Okay, well, there's this that I want to think about, and there's this purity of just being body and breath. Um, however, it arises, breathe it in. It's all part of now. It, it's all there to be metabolized. If you think of breathing, it's kind of, it's a totally amazing process. Some volume of air, you know, air. I mean, what can you say about it? It um, doesn't have a lot of characteristics. Um, and yet, when it enters the body, it gives it its life nourishment, you know? If you stop breathing, pretty soon you're dead, you know? And each breath is giving us that. It's something incredibly intimate in the workings of being that we usually we think of as me. You know, that's a very significant and intimate part of me being me. And this nondescript air becomes breath. And then pauses and releases. And every moment of our life we're going through that process. Whether we are totally tuned into it or whether we're completely ignoring it. 
And that breath is so intimate that it expresses all sorts of happenings that are going on in the human organism. You know? When you get excited, the breath expresses it. When you get fearful or angry, the breath expresses it. When you relax and feel trusting of the moment, the breath expresses it. So, this play was happening within me. Some version of me. Um, intrigue. The mind being tempted. Come over here and think about this. It's a lot of fun. Um, and then this just marvel at the whole thing. Marvel as it's breathed in. Marvel as it shimmers and reflects the state of consciousness, the state of somatic being, this state of emotionality that's present right now. What a statement about life when we accept and engage the inhale. I'm willing to be right here. I'm willing to be what's happening now. And then I thought to myself, I'll just do this for a while and then these thoughts will dissipate and I'll settle into uh, this intimate process. I will notice it and feel it more. And surprise, surprise, that wasn't what happened. Uh, they danced back and forth for most of the period of Zazen. And it was a one-hour period. Uh, and then we're in the midst of that. And how in the midst of that is there engagement? Is there some extra effort 
to join more intimately with the breath or not. And in just sitting there, experiencing that, endeavoring to neither drift away or take control. And then the bell rang. And my mind created the thought. Well, that was a pretty good period. Level of awareness wasn't so bad. Uh, it was pretty good. Uh, And I thought of this first notion. When dharmas are Buddha dharmas, Buddha being awakening and dharma being teaching. The awakening that teaches, the teaching of awakening um, the Genjo Khan, the Khan of how what happens for us all the time can be a Dharma that invites Buddha Dharma. So I thought maybe we could briefly sit and you can notice and you can experience what comes to mind and you can notice what to do with that. And As you do that, can there be an experiential learning? So we'll start now. Oh. <laughs> um, Maybe you could hit the bell after four minutes. So just notice. Notice what comes to consciousness. Notice what it's like to just open to what comes to consciousness.
And as best you can, don't try to control it in any way. Noticing school your mind on what it is to be present, what it is to be aware of now. Regardless of what it is that arises or how it is, can it be breathed in like the sounds, like the physical sensations, like the thoughts? Can it be breathed out? Can the process of being be breathed in and released with the exhale?
not in the Genju Koan, but in another fascicle, another essay written by Dogen Zenji. He said, this wondrous method is what has awakened all the Buddhas and all the teachers. of the Buddha way. How is it, what is it to let what happens for us be held in awareness and let it teach us how to awaken. So, vignette number two. Someone came to talk to me quite recently. And they wanted to talk about something that was going on for them. Something that they experienced as challenging, unpleasant, disturbing, and discouraging. But rather than talk about all the details, we talked about how those uh, experiences arose for them, how they impacted them, and how they related to the discouragements, the, the subject matter, and the impact. I would say things like, when you were discouraged, how did that feel physically? What kind of thoughts did you have about the person who was bringing up that discouragement for you? And how did that what did it, where did that did that just dissipate like a lullaby or was that like harsh and persistent and as we discussed it in this way um person's mood seemed to lighten. It, it was as if, and as our discussion, you know, continued, um, this was not only how they felt, but it was how they were thinking about the situation. 
right in the midst of this situation, which at times feels like a great affliction. It feels like, you know, a visceral agitation. And right in the middle of it, of that disturbance, when it can be seen for what it is, when it can be acknowledged for what it is, something opens. When dharmas are Buddha dharmas, it's not as if those people who are calling forth this person's agitation, distress, frustration. Uh, it's not as if, well, they need to cease existing, or this person needs to run away and be in a different environment. But somehow, how all of this is related to offers a, um, a path forward. You know, famous Zen teacher said, sometimes our life's like this. It's like we're facing a solid rock wall. It's a mile high and a mile wide. And we're being asked to take the next step. Of course, he's talking about how the mind can create that impossibility. He's talking about how our distress, our agitation, our frustration, however, we, um, and whatever is evoked within us when we face challenging situations. How, in the midst of it, do we discover liberation? And Dogen Zenji says, yes. when it's without an abiding self, with its out, with a fixed sense of me and what's good for me and what I approve of and what I don't like, 
and all that that evokes within us, you know, our patterned behaviors, that part of which we inherited it. It came with the DNA. It came with, you know, the environment in which we grew up. And yet, within that, within that, we can discover. And sometimes, the very intensity of it, that we're yelling no at, that very intensity, cracks something open. And the Genjo Khan asks us, how come? What happens in that moment? How does that shift from distressed, agitated, frustration that speaks from the heart and says, no. How does that no become, okay, that's what's happening. That's this moment. That which, that's what's here to be acknowledged, noticed, experienced just as it is. And the person, quite surprised by their own Um, shift um, seem to be relieved and somewhat enthused about the process of practice. And then they thought, Yeah, but for how long, you know? Until our meeting ends or until the next person does what has been distressing me. Um, And what came to mind for me, and um, I thought of the Bodhisattva vow. This is impossible, and I vow to practice with it. Delusions are inexhaustible, 
and I vow to practice with them. And here's the thought that came up for me, and I shared it with the person. I said, not because we're perfect, not we have, because we have some inexhaustible reservoir of resilience, but because we're imperfect. And that part of what gets taken care of is this one. You know? And the Genjo Koan says, and what's all that going to look like? Now what? how to take the principle and enact it in the moment, in the particular. Nishijima says, the truth of the Buddha way is originally transcendent over abundance and scarcity. This path of Buddha being and its capacity for liberation, it's innate in the nature of our existence. in picking up the particular and meeting it with beginner's mind, meeting it with, oh, what can I learn from this? How can I be compassionate and skillful with my agitation, distress, and discouragement? How can I uphold the notion of not harming other or self? How can I help everything to flourish? So in the class, I thought, well, what if we added in the six paramitas? What if we added in generosity, persistence, patience, discipline, awareness, and the insight that awareness calls forth. Would that help? 
I would say. It can help us call forth the Genjo Koan. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the San Francisco Zen Center. Our Dharma talks are offered free of charge, and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your financial support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information, please visit sfcc.org and click Giving. May we all fully enjoy the Dharma.